Hi everyone, it's Roberta Fallon. I'm here today in Center City, Philadelphia with uh, Alex Alexander Rosenberg. I can call you Alex, right? Yeah, yeah Alex. That's good. Hi, Alex. Hi, Roberta. Thanks for being here. We're at CultureWorks, uh, which is ArtBlog's little shared office space in Center City. And Alex is an artist of many stripes. He blows glass. He does performance. And all of his stuff is based in some sort of research. He's a deep researcher into issues that interest him, which are wide ranging. So his current project that I've seen is at the Eastern State Penitentiary, and it's called, it's got a great title, Alex Rosenberg, colon, A Climber's Guide to Eastern State Penitentiary or Eastern State's Architecture and How to Escape It. <laughs> so Alex, that's such a great title. I just don't think I have anything else to say right now. So can you talk about, um, maybe start with, the, I don't want to call them products, but the outcomes of your research. In other words, you did performance and you have a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great way to, to, to do it. In fact, I feel like I've never been able to kind of whittle it down to quite an elevator pitch, but I have like, you know, the three main tangible, or I guess some of them are intangible, but the three main kind of, kind of things that happen that can be observed from a project. So, um, and thanks for that generous introduction. That's really nice. Oh, you're welcome. Um, but yeah, so 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 the, so the book, um, the book. You know, when I was writing the when I was writing the proposal for the project, the natural name of the. I, I mean, really, the main the main thing that I wanted to do was make this guidebook. It was kind of a natural uh, outcome of what happens when places get climbed. You know, if you if I if you travel somewhere in the in the wilderness to, to do like outdoor recreational climbing, there would be like a little kind of self-produced guidebook, you know, varying degrees of, of, of um, you know, production value, I guess you could say. <laughs> but yes. uh, there, yeah, there'll be these little, um, these little guidebooks that go in place. So when I knew that I wanted to do this, this thing, that was kind of the, the part that I really knew was gonna, uh, that I wanted to have happen. So that um, naturally became the name of the project. Um, so I guess, yeah, the project exists in, in part, there's the performances of the actual climbs, which occurred, it's a pretty short amount of time, actually. They, uh, they gave me, they gave, gave me these windows of like about a week, actually, for, for the north wall and for the east wall, respectively. So and why was that? Was it like liability? They needed, um, engineers to help you or? Yeah, all a of them. <laughs> there was, you know, honestly, I was I was shocked that the um, that Eastern State were willing to support this project, you know, and um, and I think once they agreed to it, the logistics of like, holy, you know, crap, what did we actually get ourselves into, uh, came up, and I mean, they really did a great job of supporting it uh, and doing all, you know, doing everything necessary. They ended up hiring. Um, an architectural firm, a really great uh, architectural restoration film called J&M in, uh, in Philadelphia, who does a lot, a lot of historic work around the area, and said, you know, will you guys kind of oversee this and make sure that it's kind of safe and can be done in a way that, um, you know, doesn't destroy our wall and that people survive? And um, these, these women, very brilliant 
women said, yes, we'll, we'll make sure of that. So part of that was there are so many variables, you know, just like temperature, weather, precipitation. They, they, we did this process where we would go and kind of inspect the roots of, of the wall with, with an engineer, um, professional masonry guys. We had a big uh, articulated arm lift. It was really fun, actually. It kind of made me want to get into masonry restorations. You know, it was just fun to hang out in the lift all day. But um, they didn't want a lot of time to pass between the inspection and when the actual climbing occurred. And they didn't want like big weather events to happen in between there. So, it was, yeah, it was interesting. There was like, um, you know, I was like training. Uh, I did a lot of climbing, something that I've done for a long time, but I wasn't really, it's not like the main thing that I do these days or wasn't really the main thing that I did at the time of the project. So what, what's a long time, just two years, 10 years? I guess it's been maybe 15 to 18, maybe like 18 years actually right now. Okay, um, so a serious amount of climbing you've done. Yeah, and it was just, I've never done really, it's never you know, found its way into my art practice. I've been aware of other, you know, an interest in other people, you know, like I, I know I, owe something to Matthew Barney, you know, when, when doing stuff like this. And, um, yeah, he climbed walls. He, he climbed, he he climbed walls. he was a young emerging artist, I remember that. And I always, I always yeah. liked that. I saw something in, uh, I can't remember, it was like the San Francisco Contemporary Museum or something like that, where he had attached like the, the climbing holds that you would have at an indoor gym and gotten up to some weird part of the museum, like the rotunda that you couldn't really get into, and done a little scribble on the wall. I always liked that, or like I liked seeing the residue. I was like less interested in, you know, being naked with like in a video with like bungee cords attached to you. But I guess to each, to each his own, you know. <laughs> so okay, you have an interest in climbing, but this is the first time that it's made its way into your artwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and inspired by the prison and ideas of escape, or yeah, you know, I think oh man, it's there's so many things I've applied to Eastern State a couple times before, and it seems like I don't know something about that site just makes me want to do these really hard to view performances. You know what I mean? And and I know that um, it does such a good job with its identity as both kind of. A kind of a historic site and a contemporary art venue and like a tourist attraction, all these things at the same time. And I understand that kind of desire to have things that people can see. So I've, I've always, I've a couple times proposed these kind of esoteric um, kind of time-based installations or time-based like or performance-based installations that don't really, there's not really that much to see. I wanted something that happened um, at nighttime with the with the night sky coming through the oculus and the in the cells and, and doing all this stuff um, and I totally understand why that's not something that would be you know perfect for, for this place but um, you know just having having gone through the orientation having spent some time there you know I really I like I like the place and I live in Philadelphia so I spent I, I've spent a lot of time there when I was teaching in the city I used to bring my classes there all the time and as a person who has climbed, it's it's like impossible not to look at those walls and see them. You, you do what's called reading a route, you know? There's this way of looking at a climb where you see like, that's a left hand, that's a right hand. It goes like this, and you can almost see, you can see like a body in motion kind of unfold by the way that uh, this natural feature is. It's a weird way to understand um, a kind of 
natural slash man-made uh, structure, you know? Well, it's all about your relationship with the structure when you put it that way. You're looking at it with a purpose, not just, oh, that's a beautiful wall or that's a beautiful rock formation I want to climb it. It's mm. how, you know, do I put my body in there? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and to me, there's like, uh, for a lot of my projects, there's this kind of historic component. And a lot of it, I get really excited by ideas or, or, or by um, activities, I guess, or actions that, that kind of say, like, how can we experience history in a different way than, like, a narrative, you know, than, than hearing a story that's, that, that goes, goes in order. Um, I think it's related a little bit to my practice as a glassmaker, you know, if I'm um, looking around museums and, and, and history books and things like that and trying to copy the stuff in the book, there's this, I don't know, kind of special connection that happens when um, I reenact something that was, was performed by some unknown maker or practitioner hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. And the only connection that I might have to this person is like having enacted the same movements. It's kind of exciting to me. And looking at a place like Eastern State through that lens, and I guess just knowing, you know, how many people inside have looked at these walls and kind of imagined the same thing. Or, imagine, or even you know, done it. Or done it, exactly. Right? <laughs> Did you follow any of the known routes that some of the prisoners took? It's, it's. I, I wish I could say, yeah, that was like my my greatest desire, and maybe I did, you know, serendipitously. But um, the way that the record keeping of the escapes is, it's just not quite specific enough to say, you know, like I put my hand in the same spot that somebody else put their hand. Um, but I definitely climbed the same walls. You know that that many um, that many escapees climbed. Um, I, I think probably technically the way I did it was a little different because, um, as far as I could find, with with help from the wonderful um, archivists and uh, really the collective knowledge of all the staff of Eastern State, um, and we were looking critically at over the wall escapes specifically. There there were only a couple people that were recorded that tried to climb with nothing, you know, what I would call free climbing. Uh, and all of the successful over-the-wall escapes used some kind of apparatus. So there were a lot of, um, there was like a guy who, actually the same guy, this guy number, uh, I can't remember, it's like 273, I think was his number. Charles Johnson was the name of the guy. Yeah, because, and one of the climbs, one of the harder climbs I did was named after him. He was no, he he climbed halfway up and was like, oh my gosh, this is too hard, and came back down and turned himself in, which oh, I thought was no. kind of wow. exciting. But uh, but then he he later made a rope uh, out of laundry and uh, like a grappling hook out of a piece from the top of the door of his cell, and he was able to escape that way. So it's like a lot of, in fact, a lot of the people that, that climbed over did it multiple times. A lot of the escapees escaped multiple times, it seems. Well, that gets to the whole concept that underpins this project, if I understand it, which is escape, but capital E. You know, you have people in prison who desperately want to get out. It's a terrible place to be. That was a terrible place to be back then when it was a prison. But there's the concept of we're all trying to escape from something. Hmm. 
And so metaphorically, climbing a wall is a very powerful metaphor on how to get out. And I'm wondering if you have any of the metaphorical aspects of escape that you've thought of in this project and maybe they found their way into the guidebook, for example. Mm. I mean, there, well, there's a, gosh, that's a really good, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that that, that that question brings up. You know, when the, I guess many people know this, this is common knowledge, but uh, the idea of the penitentiary, it's this idea of, of, of penitence, right? And the idea that people that were in there could be rehabilitated. The way that they did that in what was called the Pennsylvania system, kind of in contrast to, to the New York system at the time, which um, the New York system would have like hard labor, you'd be have physical punishment, you know, uh, you'd be you know physically hurt um, as part of it in there. And at the same time, this pencil, radical Pennsylvania system, everybody was in solitary confinement. Um, you know, if you had a 30-year sentence, you wouldn't see or speak to anybody for 30 years. And each person was each person was alone in the cell. And if you see these cells, they're they're chapel-like, like they have these kind of vaulted ceiling. And there's this this oculus in the center, and the only light that they get is the, the light from uh, from the you know the natural light from the sky coming in. So it has, and you know, we know that today to just be torture, right? That's I, I would I would almost pick the the Hard, hard, labor. hard labor and physical punishment. punishment one before being left alone like that. So yeah. there, there is this kind of, I, I don't know, I mean, and, and having never been incarcerated for a long period of time myself, you know, it's, I don't want to speculate, you know, what that experience is like, but there, I just imagine, you know, like looking at this wall all the time, looking through that Oculus all the time, this kind of longing, um, and then in some ways being able to enact that in some kind of way, you know, being able to perform this thing that maybe like so many people dreamed of or, or imagined or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And on the one hand, it's really very powerful and serious. And on the other hand, it's very whimsical, if you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> Not at all. The idea of climbing this, and am I remembering correctly that it's five stories high, this wall? It's it's not quite, well, no, it's not quite that, sorry. Okay. I, I, I was, uh, my math was, was suddenly wrong. No, it's, they're, uh, they're 33 feet, so 33 it's feet. about the size of my, my row home, actually. It's about the same, the same okay. height. Well, three stories tall building. or two and a half stories yeah, tall, kind yeah. of. That's pretty darn tall. It's, I mean, it's, it's tall enough that, you know, your leg can, Start shaking a little bit at the at the at the tall uh, you know towards towards the top of it, yeah. but um, but no, I mean I think like I, I've certainly been accused of being whimsical before. You know, it's not the first time to have that word associated with my, with my work, and um, which is not a bad thing. No, not at all. I I, no, I, wasn't I don't meaning it that way. Not, yeah, I don't. I don't either. Uh, I don't either. Um, in fact, I, it's kind of it's kind of nice. You know, sometimes it's easy to like take yourself a little bit too serious. You know, I've, I've, I think, successfully gotten away from being, taking this whole thing too seriously, which is, which is good. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that's, you know, getting a chance to, to work closely with the staff at, at Eastern State and, and talk to them about the selection process, especially, like, the night of the opening, I got to meet some of the people from the committee and stuff like that. And I think, I think that was one of the, 
appealing things about the project for them. They, they were kind of like, we've never really seen somebody with such a lighthearted uh, approach to this really kind of heavy, you know, heavy site and, and heavy uh, historic context. And that to me, again, I, I don't, I don't see that, or I don't want it to be kind of like ignoring, you know, these aspects of the site, but um, kind of attitude of both and. and. And that's another thing that I think I get excited about with this and other projects is like, how do we kind of reclaim sites with these multiple, sometimes conflicting, overlapping histories? And, you know, how can we, um, I guess, honor them all equally or kind of read them or, or interpret them all equally you know how can this place both be like a place where people were tortured a historic uh, attraction a tourist attraction a contemporary art venue and maybe like a place to practice esoteric outdoor activities you know yeah well um i think art is can be at any rate an art project in the public sphere can or maybe should be educational. And so I think what you're getting to a little bit, just to put a stupid label on it, is um, talking to people about the past in a way that they can, you know, connect with today. To yeah, and totally. And maybe lighthearted, but not totally lighthearted. I mean, I don't think your project is totally lighthearted at all. Well, I mean, and I think stuff can be, I mean, again, it's kind of going back to this, like, you know, why does history always live in a narrative? Like, I would like the idea that people could maybe like climb their way through historic content or, um, I mean, again, as like kind of an, you know, sometimes a material specific artist and an educator where we're teaching people like working with their hands and things like that. You know, I, I don't really see a hierarchy of that kind of learning against other kind of learning, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, the ver archi traditional archival research versus this kind of tactile or material exploration. And I, I don't know, I'm kind of, without fully really having the language for it, I'm, I would be excited of more things like that as a way for people to kind of experience like an intellectual history without, without it necessarily being in the same um, conventional, conventional way. No, I think what you're saying is very important. We're, I mean, you were part of Monument Lab, our part of Monument Lab, the project that was from 2017, I mm -hmm. believe, that um, you had a project at Rittenhouse Square. Um, yeah. And that was research and interactive and public. And talk a minute or two about that. Yeah. That's making an archive accessible. And Yeah, no, thanks for asking. And actually, that's really, uh, I'm, that's a, great connection that I, I that I often kind of forget or, or wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought to to bring up here but um, yeah I mean Rittenhouse is such a complicated site in this kind of having these multiple uh, identities and iterations that don't really relate very well to one another and um, in the earliest stages of Monument Lab, um, when there was uh, there was an, an additional curator in the beginning, and and he had written something a long time ago about uh, some other esoteric project that I had done, and I think they were just trying to find somebody to work with Rittenhouse. You know, they had artists that they could say, okay, like you know, you're you're good for Logan Square and you're good for Washington Square, um, but Rittenhouse Square was problematic. Like it, it just 
it doesn't really have one unifying feature or historic moment that can easily connect it to, to some other practice. So I, I guess I got lucky that, um, that this, this, for this friend of mine had kind of seen these kind of weird historic projects that are kind of smaller historic projects that I've been working on. And, uh, and I put together a proposal for them that we never, I never thought was going to be realized. You know, they just said, what's the, what's the, um, what's the monument for this site? And what it was, was using this augmented reality interface to overlay all the different changes or all the different plans that had never happened on top of one another. Uh, so the way that it came together, it was these coin-operated binocular viewers, like the kind of thing you'd see on top of the... I love those things. Mount Rushmore. They're so great. And you know, kind of side note, I really wanted to own one as part <laughs> of the project, and it's like they're impossible to... I mean, they're very, very expensive to get, and I needed a matched pair, so we ended up renting them just from the company that rents them, and those people must make a fortune because they're not, they're not cheap. They continue to own them. I think, you know, the person who... Who rents them can keep the change out of them, but the, the object, you know, gets uh, and the, the rent gets paid back to this uh, company. Tower Optical, by the way. If any, you know, okay, if any, Tower <laughs> Optical, watch out. There's going to be an artist out there who's going to make one of these. Wants to. <laughs> Just but, watch out. But the way, yeah, to, to um, you know, briefly, or I guess it's already beyond briefly, but like to, <laughs> to uh, basically, there were these two coin-operated viewers. They were pointed into the center of... Uh, of, of Rittenhouse Square, and then uh, this this wonderful small Philadelphia company called Night Kitchen helped me with the renderings of all of these objects, like fountains that had been removed. There, there's this great moment where like people were getting mad that these fountains were spraying water on their trousers, so they got they got taken out, and there were uh, certain sculptures that were moved place to place. And there were uh, kinds of wildlife that used to exist in there that don't anymore. There are these written accounts of an albino deer that people used to see all the time. That sounds um, like a unicorn to me. I, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And just, uh, you know, all of these different moments kind of through, through history. So I made this kind of archive of all the stuff that was proposed and didn't happen. There was an observatory proposed there to, um, you know, David Rittenhouse, I guess, was known for his observation of the transit of Venus, but he was kind of eclipsed by... Uh, Ben Franklin's fame, they were contemporary. So I thought it'd be cool to put that observatory back in there that eventually there was also too much uh, light pollution to be able to do it. So, so you would look through these coin-operated viewers and you'd see this, these objects kind of overlaid on the, the real view in there. Um, you know, it was, it was a cool project, or mm -hmm. it was cool for me. Fun, Did you see people using here. them? Have any interaction with them as they were being used? Or? Yeah, I mean, I learned, oh man, I learned so much from that stuff. For, first of all, I, I learned, I'm sure everybody has this experience when they're doing like a really, truly public, public art piece, especially something that's supposed to be interactive like that, is like, everybody wants to abuse it in ways beyond you can even imagine. <laughs> you exactly. Know? You know, and uh, I had kind of a role of, uh, I kind of maintained a role of technical support <laughs> through the project. So <laughs> a lot of people probably would have seen me there physically like opening. I think I built it in a way that I thought was kind of intuitive and accessible, but it was, it was hard for, for people to learn to, to do. Figure out. So I was in there like replacing cords and charging batteries and stuff like that. But um, it was great to see people using it. I, I think 
you know, I think at the end of the day, that, that experience and the kind of questions that people had was absolutely the root of the, of the project. You know, they were asking, like, were these things really there? When were they there? Are they supposed to all be here at once, you know? Um, and this kind of, uh, I don't know, democratization of these different kind of iterations of the site. You know, there was a time when Rittenhouse used to be a rough neighborhood too. You know, no it was, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was this was really really poor. It was a lot of um, there were. It was a brick brickyard basically. So so really kind of. Um, yeah, people digging up clay to make bri bricks uh, lived around there. The, the, there was a neighborhood nearby called the Devil's Pocket because, you know, somebody said, oh, you're going over there? I wouldn't, you know, those guys are so bold, they'd still watch right out of the Devil's Pocket. So they, that was the name of the neighbor, neighborhood. And there's a great moment where there's kind of this, this like working class neighborhood on the south and then they're, it's starting to grow, become this kind of high uh, economic class on the north. But there was this kind of social understanding that the people living around the park were watching it, so people could still walk and interact across these kind of um, class lines, uh, unchaperoned. You know, which is interesting. So, like a town watch, early, early, early town watch yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah. People taking care of each other in the park. Exactly, and then you know it was like deforested. There was a, it, it was filled with trash. There was problems with like horse droppings when oh they gosh. started running. You know the first iteration of the trolleys. Anyway, yeah, I spent a lot of time. I probably should have written the book. Right, somebody already wrote a really good book on it named Nancy Hines okay. called The Perfect Square. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to your book then. Oh yeah. Since we kind of veered off from that into the climbing. Uh, your book is coming out soon. It's at the printer or it's with the designer? Yeah, there's uh, wonderful designers that are, are putting it together right now. All the content's done. I think we're going to have like a physical object um, within a month or two. So <laughs> I don't have an exact date yet, but um, I'm definitely going to try to find some local places to distribute. Eastern State will, I'm almost positive, be selling it in their gift shop. They Why were, would they not sell it in their gift shop? Right. Uh, when I first proposed the project, you know, this in my mind was like the perfect resolution. I was like, you know, I'll make the I'll make the book. The book will sell from the gift shop. A portion of it will go to conserve the wall. You know, it's very neatly wrapped up in my mind. And the, the, when the committee uh, got in touch with me, they said, we don't know if we want to sell your book because we don't want to sell a guidebook on how to climb our prison in our prison. Like they took it seriously. Yeah, I think they were really worried about, which, you know, makes sense if you give people a guidebook on how to do something and, and, and you know, give them the space to do it, they, it might happen. Uh, but I think since then they've become, I think they're just, I think they've just gotten into the project and they realize that it, it helps uh, the context. And I'm going to give a couple copies to the um, to the staff, you know, so that people can look at it as they're kind of walking around on tours and things like that. So I know for sure you'll be able to get it there. I'll also, like, if anybody wants a copy, they can just contact me. Okay, I'll, I'll at your website? Oh, yeah, sure. It's uh, alexanderrosenberg.net, and that just has all my... All my contact All info. your contact info on it. Okay, I'm very excited for this book. I want to read it <laughs> and see the pictures. Too. Also, I should mention that there is, if you want to see Alex climbing 
one of the walls, there's a video, a short video, with an overlay of Alex talking about the project, which is very nice. Um, it's a, less than two minutes long on the Eastern State Penitentiary website. Highly recommend that because the public was not invited to watch you climb for obvious reasons such as safety, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it just like wasn't widely publicized. You know, people were around and, uh, and then I also, I did climb for the opening reception, which was, uh, it was weird and <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. And, you know, I knew, uh, it was it was really fun, but like oh, it was just so weird. I've never really climbed in front of a you know large audience before, and it seems normal when it's like your four friends you know on the ground and they're kind of taking turns doing it too. But um, one thing that I learned well, there's there's a couple things that I learned by performing that doing that in front of an audience. First of all, everybody just shuts up. Like everybody's completely you know there's this big event. There's maybe a thousand people you know at least through the night like wandering around. Um, maybe like a hundred, you know, within view of, of what's going on, and just silence, which is totally unnerving, you know. I don't, uh, <laughs> and and then also, I think to if if you're like not a person that's used to watching it, I think it's hard to know what you're kind of looking at or what you know what to hope for or what to hope not for. You know, I think people didn't want me to fall, and I didn't fall. Uh, but then you know it got done, and and uh, I mean I actually did it several several times, and the question or the comment that I heard a lot was like that was very fast, good like good job that was very fast, you know. Uh, so I didn't. I guess people like to speed is you know speed is impressive. Well, I think if you're not coming from a climbing background, you think of this wall, this three foot thirty three foot tall wall as. Oh, I couldn't do that in, you know, a half a day. Mm. It seems insurmountable, no pun intended, but um, how long did it take you? It's, you know, it's only a couple of minutes, maybe, up up and down. And, and the thing is, to me, you know, we have, I made these little sloth patches, I think I gave yes, you one. Yes, you gave me one. Sloth, and, S -L -O -C -H. Right, like the very Dang, slow creature. <laughs> And when I was when I was training, you know, with a group of friends, we would be practicing climbing. The goal was always to slow down. You know, if you're if you're rushing, that's when you kind of start running out of energy or or just get hurt. I guess so. Mistakes. Yeah. yeah. So I was always just trying to. I was always trying to go slow. So then people would be like, "Oh, you did it so fast!" I'd be like, "Oh no, I messed up. I have to do it again." Um, and then the last thing was, I think actually at the end of the day, people want you maybe want you to. Or, or they want to see like a little bit of a struggle to, to know that it's to know that it's hard. So I had the one that I had picked out that I had really been practicing, you know, for the um, for the event. And again, that that moment is totally, you know, really ego driven. I don't think it matters to the project if I, you know, do a really perfect climb. You know, it's that's just me being, you know, trying hard at climbing, I guess. But. Uh, so I switched to an even harder one for, you know, for, for the, the people that were like, oh, okay, that seemed, you know, can you do a hard, I did, and then I, you know, I fell, I, I fell, I fell once or, or twice, and I think that was at really, at the opening? Oh, yeah, and I think that was really satisfying to the crowd. That's so. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. People. Um, <laughs> I, what can I say? Um, yeah, talk about the free climbing, because you didn't have Crampons, is that what they call them? Um, Crampons. Okay, well, yeah, there's like, 
ropes or, but you did, you had some safety equipment. Right. right. I, I had actually, so I guess, yeah, the terminology thing, you know, it's cool. Everybody's like learning more about climbing because there's like the free solo thing. Every, you know, everybody really likes that movie. I think I like that movie too. And there's another one called The Dawn Wall that's out that I think is even, even better. Like, uh, if yeah, if people want to see some okay. some OG, OG climbing movies. Yeah, it's a great that's a great documentary about um, uh, in Yosemite. You know, mm. but uh, so this idea free free climbing is just meaning that you do the climbing just with your body on the rock without using gear to assist you to make it easier. Um, it's not really talking about the safety like you can have you can free you free climb with a rope like please <laughs> please free climb with a rope that's that's what I like to do this movie free solo that's technically you know when people go without the rope that's um, that's what that's all about and I think that's great and interesting but that's not really uh, something that I'm interested in trying to do uh, trying to do part of this project though was oh I guess I met in the kind of talking about the, the different uh, bits and pieces Part of this project was the installation in the cell. I didn't talk about the installation no, in the cell. No. And um, I was really thinking about this collection of ephemera. I was thinking of this cell as kind of a staging ground, you know, for the, um, for the field work that was happening, I guess, on the wall. And I wanted to think about, there's this overlap between this idea of, of clean climbing, which, which now we kind of refer to as trad climbing, or it's the predecessor of this idea of trad climbing or traditional climbing, which started in the 70s. There was this essay called The Whole Natural Art of Protection in the Chinard Equipment Catalog, which was encouraging people to see rock as a natural resource to preserve just the same way as like wildlife or um, yeah, plants and animals and things like that, uh, and, and water and other kinds of resources. And coincidentally, that essay, that, um, that catalog came out the same year that Eastern State closed its doors. So this is kind of this serendipitous connection. And, um, you know, there's this, for me, again, there's this kind of interesting intersection between, like, ideas of built and ideas of natural in the prison, and specifically, you know, this place that... Um, all this stone stuff in, in, in Philly is made out of this Wissahickon schist, which, which came from a quarry in the Wissahickon Valley. Um, and that's also the same rock that you would be climbing if you're doing outdoor climbing, you oh. know, around this area. So, yeah, so it's this weird thing where you're kind of taking this, this sport that originated on, you know, what we would consider natural features and then superimpose it on these kind of built objects, but then they're still kind of natural, you know, or, or like, I guess, questioning where that line is. Um, the prison in particular, Eastern State in particular, you know, it's, uh, it was a ruin for 20 years, you know? So like, and there's this process of wildering, I've heard somebody call it. I don't know if that's like the official term, but where, term. where nature kind of takes back over. And, and now their kind of conservation efforts are between its identity as, you know, they don't want to restore it to, to what it was in the, the uh, 19th century. They don't want to, you know, fully let it crumble. So it's this kind of stasis in between that's really exciting to me. And it, it kind of, it gets to this other idea that I'm interested about, like, 
why is it okay to camp in the woods, but if we sleep on the street, you know, in Philadelphia, that's, that's homelessness, and I'll get a ticket, or I'll get arrested for it, you know, and, and where, like, this imaginary line is, and so I, I think it's a little, there are other projects that I'm kind of trying to do that in, explore this more. I think the, the historic weight of that site in particular, you know, it, it, um, it's substantial, you know, so, uh, so that, that might kind of fall into the background a little bit in this particular area, but. Um, wow, fascinating. There's, there's a lot there's of stuff. There's so much to research, you better get going. Um, I, I do want to bring up a couple of things because you have some breaking news. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've been cast in a TV series on Netflix. That's right. Congratulations. Yeah. Tell Thank us you. about that. I, uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know, like, you know, where to place this. It's not really, like, my artistic practice or other things that I do, but it's, it's a glass-blowing contest show on Netflix. It's coming out a week from today. So and it's what's coming it called? On uh, July 12th, it's called Blown Away. Blown Away. And if you like that title, there's lots of other funny, <laughs> or semi-funny glass. Semi glass puns in the show. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope people will. Well, you can't tell us who won the contest no. because that would spoil it, but <laughs> I'll be right. rooting for you. Oh, thank you. So everybody look on Netflix for Blown Away next July 12th and see Alex. Are you in every episode? I'm in, I, I mean, I guess that would kind of reveal. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would kind Spoiler of reveal. Spoiler alert. But, but I, I can promise mm -hmm. at least that I'm in many of them. Many okay, of the so, episodes. So okay. that's a good <laughs> That's a good way to do it. But I mean, yeah, I guess like maybe not every show is the same. But this is one of these like eliminate, you know, where at the end of each episode, they're like, you're, you know, you're staying, you're going. That's right. Project Runway. We've exactly. all seen that. Exactly. Which I've always loved as an art, you know, as an artist. I thought that that was like, Project Runway feels close to art school, you know, the art school kind the of show. Yeah, the yeah, art school critique. Yeah, very tough critiques. Kind of, so. Yes. Is that even on anymore, anywhere? It's probably on some... I don't even, I don't even know. Yeah. It was so know. good. And I know. Then, then I really, people don't know of it. Or I think that one did better than like the work of art one. You know what I mean? The work of art one that had like Jerry Saltz and all this stuff. I think it was a little... That's overdone. Yeah, that's exactly. No, so. not so good. Um, okay, so finally, I want to ask a little biography about you. You're not, you're <laughs> sure. in Philly. Mm -hmm. You've been here a while. Um, how long have you been here? It's been, yeah, it's been about almost 10 years. Almost 10, that's almost a resident. Yeah, and actually, you know, I mean, oof, I, even biography, I can, like, go off on tangents. But, but, you know, I've never, I've moved around a lot. Um, I've never really lived anywhere more than, like, four or five years growing up. So, actually, Philly is the place that I've lived the longest in my life. Oh, my. Um, so, I know that to, doesn't count to everybody as, like, being... Uh, Philadelphian, but I do really like it here, and it's been, uh, I think it's been the city that I've had done the most, like, art stuff that I really like. Um, you know, I was a member of Vox for a while yes, when I, I first know. came here, and yeah. I think that's, the, the whole, like, artist-run space is, like, an awesome thing that I had never really seen in any other city, at least that I had lived. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's very unusual and very great. So, where were you born? Um, I was born in Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah. Okay. My dad used to work for the Department of the Health Department there. 
And, uh, but I only stayed there for a year when I was born, and then I, but I did end up going back to go to school. I went to RISD as an undergraduate. Okay, well that doesn't really count. No, right? yeah. <laughs> you really moved around every four or five years? Yeah, That's I mean sometimes odd. even mm. more frequently, and I think it's not like, uh, I don't, I think everybody was just kind of trying to get, you know, career stuff mm -hmm. in order, you know, it wasn't like I was, we were in the military, or I, you know, I didn't have like a, parent in the military or anything like that, but it was and like, they weren't running from anything. They were, that I know of, you never know, you, know, you never know who's, what, pe people admit things as, you know, as they get older, you never know why. Right, or after the they're gone, yes, exactly. you find things out. Exactly, but yeah, I was like, uh, but kind of mostly concentrated in the Northeastern United States, so it was like uh, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Connecticut, back to New Jersey, so I guess actually New Jersey cumulatively might be more, but it's two different, different parts. parts. Of it. Well, and were your parents encouraging of you to, with your artistic talents? You know, I have to say, we, yeah, I think my, my brother and I are both really fortunate in that, you know, it's somewhere between our folks were very, were like very kind of tolerant of our interests and, and, and nurturing uh, in certain ways. And I think, but I think also they kind of recognized this thing that like, we weren't really going to make it at anything else, you know what I mean? Um, I, I definitely uh, kind of, I, I struggled with some kind of uh, conventional, uh, you know, parts of You're a natural artist, you don't <laughs> need to explain. It just comes with the, uh, <laughs> right. the temperament. Yeah, huh. yeah. But you like Philly. You're going to stay here a while. I do, yeah. And I, ca I came here to teach, and I'm no longer working at the place where I came here for, but I continue to teach, and, and I just, yeah, I like being here. I like showing here. You There's like these teaching? weird. I do like teaching, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of back, I'm down to part-time now. I was doing full-time, and I think I think, uh, I think I like being an artist for the full-time thing and, and yes. teaching, you know, kind of supplement. So are you optimistic about the youth of America coming up who want to be artists? Well, you know... From your small sample size. I, yeah, I am. And actually, like, you know, I just see every every kind of new group being able to push things. You, you know, like, it, it took me a long time to try to do kind of unusual performance-y kind of thing. And now everybody, you know, it's like everybody has access to so much more. People are more... Um, Think more brave and feel less kind of tethered to material or, or, or um, and then you know I teach in some ways this really traditional thing like I'll teach I teach glass blowing which is kind of you know archaic and maybe maybe you know even useless in some kinds of ways but I, it's so, I think it's so beautiful to see people that still want that kind of expertise and are willing to um, you know dip a toe into this really kind of uh, Kind of esoteric practice. So. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah. So one final kind of oddball question. What would you love to research and work on next if money were no object? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, um, Surely you must have thought of something. No, I do. I mean, honestly, like so much of... I. I just came from an afternoon of like, you know, putting together proposals for people to give me money to do projects. So I think... I mean, it's a little, it's a little bleak, but I am, I'm, I am really, really am very concerned about the environmental and ecological future of our, of our planet and our species. And a lot of the stuff that I'm proposing now is kind of taking the same idea of practicing these kind of 
old-fashioned survival skills on this crumbling built environment. Um, so a lot of the work that I'm trying to do or a lot of the proposals that I'm putting out right now are, are saying like, you know, how do we look at what, what are referred to as like primitive survival skills, you know, like the, the, how you start a fire with, with no matches and how you, you know, find food and filter water. But instead of looking at kind of this, this natural world outside of the city as the source of the materials, can we look at, um, you know, technological waste, like these materials that we have in, in, that we're creating in such giant amounts as, as the kind of material to practice this stuff. So that's, I know it's a little, it's kind of a little dark, it's a little bleak, but that's kind of what I want to really want to do right now. It's hard, um, even, you know, a practice like glass blowing, which consumes a lot of materials, it's hard to like really want to make stuff right now, you know, mm -hmm. when we're having yeah. so much, Too much crisis. Stuff. <laughs> so I kind of, yeah, I kind of, I would really like to just, if money were no object, I'd like to get paid to kind of look at these, you know, ancient skill sets and, and see if we can figure out ways to kind of like apply them to our contemporary um, situation, I guess. <laughs> that sounds very fruitful to me. Funders out there, alert. <laughs> Alex wants your money. Please. <laughs> to do wonderful projects in Except the future. Checks. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I think that's a good note to end on. Let's hope for your projects for the future. I've been speaking with Alex Rosenberg. Alex, thank you so very much. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Roberta. It's really, really fun. And thank you all for listening. This is Artblog Radio, and we'll see you next time, or you can listen next time. Bye.